part of this is about fear, right? We, we again, back to our primal ways and our Maslowian ways, we do everything we can to avoid the feeling of fear. But the problem is fear is the gateway to freedom. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life and one day a better world. I'm Chris Colbert, and I am thrilled to be part of the Oracle Connect event. I was invited by Oracle a couple months ago to participate, and we've had lots of conversations along the way. And ultimately, I want to thank them for the invitation, but also acknowledge their courage in asking me to speak. Because fundamentally, what I have to say is a little different than what a lot of people have to say. But I do believe that the ability to become future ready, to prepare for the life ahead, to prepare for the life you have now, really is all about courage. And I'm going to try to convince you of that over the next 30 minutes or so. So before we get into it, I want to just share a couple things about me. Number one, I am a globalist. And what I mean by that is I actually don't believe in continents, countries, or borders. I actually believe we're all related. I believe we're all family. And the second thing that I am is a humanist. And I believe that our responsibility as humans is to help each other realize their full our full potential. And that to me is what this concept or theme of Future Ready is really all about, is how do we help each other, not just prepare for what is coming, but to realize what we already have, that the life we are given is the only life we are given. And we have this somewhere between a responsibility, opportunity, and a gift to to take full advantage of it. The last thing I'll say before I get into the the talk is my purpose is to help people realize their potential. It has been my purpose for for many years. And my concern about this 30 minutes that we're spending together is I want to make sure that you come away with something. It's not just a nodding politely experience. You come away ideally with motivation to learn more about what it means to be future ready, and ideally a set of actions you can take to actually be future ready. So in, in the spirit of having that kind of impact, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I've never done this before. And that is during the course of the next 30 minutes, I'm going to stop at different points in time, and I'm going to ask you a question. And the intent is to have you take pause to to think about what I've been talking about and sort of process it through your own brain and really try to get grounded with what it is I mean and how that that concept or that thought might impact your life and how how you move forward. You don't have to share it with me at the end. You don't have to share it with anybody. But I think my hope is that it will it will help help me have impact with you and help you take value from from this experience. So with that, let me get into uh, Get into the presentation, and I'm going to start with a story, because I love stories. 1995, which reveals how old I am, I'm in a conference room in Boston, Massachusetts, a company by the name of Polaroid Corporation, which at the time was a $2 billion business. I'm with the six senior executives, all older white people like me. 
and we're talking about the future of the business and they're talking away and talking away. And finally I get frustrated and I jump up and I go to the whiteboard and I draw an arc and I look at these guys and I say, gentlemen, do you know what this is? And they look at me and they say, no idea. And I say, that little arc is a swell in the ocean called digital imaging. And my bet is in five years, that swell will turn into a tsunami that crushes your company unless you take evasive action. And they looked at me and they said, no way, no way. That's 25 years. Six years later, Polaroid filed for bankruptcy. I was off by a year. The point of that story is not that I, the, the moral of the story is not that I'm amazing at predicting things. The moral of the story is really about behavior. It's really about how people think, how people do what they do. And the truth of Polaroid's collapse was not a function of corporate strategy. The truth of Polaroid's collapse was a function of the behaviors of those six executives. And that fundamentally what they did is they shut down. They closed their minds, they held on to the status quo, they held on to legacy thinking, they held on to old belief systems. They were afraid of taking on the truth of the reality of the future. And they went like this, and six years later, they were out of business. They were not future ready, not at all. And so the first thing I would say to you as you contemplate, we contemplate what it means to be future ready, is this issue or need for openness letting go of the past, letting go of legacy, letting go of old belief systems, and being open to what might be. I'm going to hit you with a question right out of the gate. So everybody got your little piece of paper or something to write on anything. I don't care, right? Use your phone. The question is this. And this is going to be a hard question. Where are you closed? You, I'm talking to you, where are you closed right now in your life or in your work? And why are you so closed? 15 seconds to think about that. I'll think about it because I got, I have closed closure issues too. I do, believe me. 15 seconds, 10 seconds. Where am I closed in my life or work? And why am I so closed? Home, work, friends, doesn't matter. Okay. So being open. The other Another facet of being future ready is this recognition that everything is connected. I believe, like I'm a, I, I'm a globalist, I have to believe everything's connected. But the butterfly effect is real. You know this idea that butterflies' wings can eventually turn into a hurricane? I believe that to be true. I believe every action creates a reaction. And so as you think about becoming more future ready as a human, as a person, as a professional, it doesn't matter, recognize that the way to do that is through connection. Connection with others, connection with concepts, connection with processes, connection with things, everything must be connected. The failure of societies is disconnection, is when we think things are discrete when they are decidedly not. Another sort of macro facet to all this is this, we, we live in this bizarre time of contradictions. So on the one hand, we live in a time where we, are, we have nothing but information. We are, we are drowning in a sea of information. And yet, at the same time, the ability to separate truth from falsehood, fact from fiction, seems harder than it's ever been. We live in a time where the planet has never been wealthier. And yet, 
economic inequality seems greater than it's ever been. We live at a time where gl the global reality, the global supply chain is in fact the lifeblood of the economic ecosystem. And yet, in many countries, people are rising up proposing to close borders. Populism, nationalism, protectionism are all sort of you know, rising, rising factors. And then the fourth contradiction, which is the one that maybe gets me more than anything, is that we, we increasingly recognize intellectually that climate change is real, that global warming is in fact happening. But even though we have intellectual recognition and acceptance of that fact, behaviorally, most of us are not willing to do anything about. Contradictions abound. The other thing that abounds is change. Lots and lots of change. And I don't need to have you write down all the changes in your life over the last 5, 10, 15 years. Change is everywhere. But the funny thing about change is that there's both change and non-change. There are things that are, in fact, changing, and there's one thing in particular that's not changing so much, and that is us. Like, the crazy thing is the world has changed in all kinds of ways, but we have not really changed at all. And I default to one of my favorite graphics, which is the implied evolution of man, where the creature on the far left, otherwise known as a primate, evolves into the creature on the right, otherwise known as Homo erectus. And the inference is massive evolution of capacity, brain, whatever. But my view is that the creature on the left is primal, and the creature on the right is primal too. That we haven't really changed all that much. And there's a guy who kind of supports this in a big way. His name's Abraham Maslow. He's a Psycholo American psychologist from the 1950s. And he came up with something called the hierarchy of need. And his whole point is really that people are primal. We're really basic. And that each and every day when we wake up, the first thought we have, which isn't even a thought, it's a subconscious thought, is where are we going to get food, water, air? You know, how do we get our physiological needs met? And then the second thought is how do we ensure that we are safe, that the woolly mammoth or the saber-toothed tiger won't eat us? And then how do we ensure that we have some sort of connection, belonging, family, a tribe? And then fewer of us move into the next layer of need, which is around self-esteem. Like, how do we find love for ourselves? And then the very few of us find the last, the last set of needs, which is really around self-actualization. But the point here is that the majority of human beings live at the lower levels of need. I call this the status quo zone. The vast majority of people live in the status quo. Those guys at Polaroid, those five executives, they were just holding on to the status quo. And they were afraid of going, moving anywhere away from that status quo. And I call the zone above the status quo zone, the future ready zone, which is the ability to be future ready necessarily means you have self-actualized. That you expanded your capacities, your understanding, your abilities, you've incorporated a, a level of confidence, self-esteem, respect, you are actualized. And in your actualization, you can actualize what is happening around you. So the dilemma we have as we contemplate becoming future ready is letting go of the seduction of the status quo, the comfort of the status quo. You know, we, we, we seek comfort in so many ways in our lives. Familiarity is comfort. Patterns are comfort. Doing it the same way is comfort. And so moving into the future ready state is letting go of comfort and therefore is necessarily uncomfortable. And most people aren't willing to do that.
but we have to try and I'll explain why. So we call the how we have not changed side, I call it Maslow's law, right? Maslow's hierarchy of need, effectively law about our primal ways. Why should we change side? I call that Moore's law, which you've probably heard about Moore's law. And this this whole idea that computing power doubles every year or two, cost cut in half, which basically means technology can be applied to everything, which changes everything. Here's the technology curve going up with the march of technology towards being able to mirror or mimic the capacity of the human brain. Here's another view of that same curve, which just shows the litany of inventions, innovations, profound innovations that have been happened over the last 20 or 30 years. The point of this curve isn't what's on the curve, it's the steepness of the curve. It's the trajectory of the curve. The point of this curve is this, that that curve is going up faster than our curve, that the pace of change reflected in that curve is fundamentally faster than your or my natural ability to change. So it sets up this view, which I stole from Thomas Friedman, the very well-known author, and he called it out. He said that the pace of human or the rate of human adaptability evolution is, is far below technological innovation or evolution. And that gap is a capacity gap. So here's the rub. Not becoming future ready is a problem because the more that gap widens, the more bad things happen fundamentally. Let me give you some examples very quickly. Pretend that you have a telescope. Everybody pretend like you have a telescope. And we're looking at the earth from, I don't know, way out there. And what do we see? Well, one thing we might see is we might zoom in on Argentina and we might see Buenos Aires. And did you know in 1920, Argentina had the third largest GDP in the world? And today it's ranked number 90 out of 160 countries in terms of global innovation. It went from basically number three to number 90. If you look again, there's this company I see in North America called Research in Motion, which was the first smartphone. 2002, they had 20% mark global market share. Five years later, they had 3%, and today they have 0.1%. Not future ready. You look again, my neck of the woods in Boston, there's this woman named Sarah, and she's a software engineer. She works for a robotics company. She has a great job. She loves her job. She loves her apartment. She has a little dog named Scruffy. She loves everything. But here's the problem. Sarah's technical skills become obsolete at a rate of 25% per year. So if Sarah doesn't keep learning, actively learning, actively seeking to be future ready, she will be out of a job in four years. And the last one, if you look really, really, really closely, you might see a movie theater. And on the marquee of the movie theater is the name of the movie playing. And the name of the movie playing is your life. Imagine you walk into the theater, you sit down, and it starts, and it's a two-hour depiction of your life. And the question is, at the end of that movie, do you stand up and give yourself an applause for the risks you took, the adventures you took, the boldness you, 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 you achieved, or do you walk out of the theater sad that you didn't take more advantage of what you had before you? So that's, this is like a difficult question. The question is, if you had to give your movie to date a rating, where five stars were, was amazing and one star was like, ugh, not so good. How many stars would you give your movie right now? You probably don't need 20 seconds for that. 
So here's the other side. Like not only do we need to adapt faster because the world is changing faster than we are, I say we need to adapt faster because to not adapt faster is, to, is a waste of a life. It's a waste of an amazing movie-making opportunity. Remember, this is the only life we get. So are we making a great movie or not? So it all boils down to choice. The good news is it's a choice. It's not being done to us. It's a choice. The rub is it's not a choice to like functionally change. It's a choice that involves behavioral change. Becoming future ready, realizing more out of the life we have, actualizing our capacity is not something you learn in a textbook or take in a class. It's actually from within. It's a choice of behavior. And here's the problem with that. There are only two motivators of behavior change. This is my, my theory. All my stuff is theory. I have no data to substantiate anything. The only two motivators of behavior change are aspiration. I want something and desperation. I need something. The problem with aspiration as a motivator to change our behaviors is it's not that effective because it's a want. I don't need it. I want it. Desperation, on the other hand, is amazing because I need it. I absolutely have to do it. And the silly example I use here is I've been wanting to lose weight for 10 years or five, 10 pounds for five years, and I haven't lost 10 pounds in five years but I go to the doctor. So I've been wanting to lose weight. I haven't lost weight. I go to the doctor. The doctor says, Chris, if you don't lose weight, you're going to double your risk of a heart attack. And immediately I will lose weight because I need to lose weight. In my, I wrote a book called This Is It, and I talk about the power of it hitting what I call acceptable rock bottom, where you have nothing left to lose. If we go back to the Polaroid guys, and they had, if they, at that point in time, they had nothing left to lose, they would have taken, made a different decision because they had nothing to lose but they did have something to lose, which was the here and now of their company and the comfort of the familiarity. And so they held on to that, not willing to change. And the irony is they lost it at the end. So I don't wish you acceptable rock bottom and your motivation, finding motivation to change your behavior and become future ready. I don't wish that on you, but I kind of do. We're back to the choice. Now, the good thing about the choice is that there's a contextual choice as well, which is you can contemplate being future ready through a variety of lenses. You can look at it structurally and say, I care about making the world more future ready. I care about helping my company become more future ready. I care about making my family more future ready or my home or my city. And you can also look at it through a specific role. I, as a citizen of the earth, want to be future ready. I, as a leader, want to be future ready. I, as a parent, want to be future ready. I don't think it really matters which context works for you. I think the, the universal truth to all this is that we all need to be future ready. There's a humanistic, as I said, universal truth that applies to all of us. So you now are wondering, how do I become future ready? How do I realize my full potential? I didn't write this book. This is, I just made this up. But I do believe the lessons within it are the right lessons. So hopefully uh, you're still with me and you'll be taking notes. So here we go. Lesson number one, you got to commit, man. This doesn't happen. It's, my, it's like my weight loss thing. It doesn't happen because I want to lose weight. It only happens because I believe I need to do this. And I am willing to commit and I'm willing to change my behavior. And that is brutally hard, but that's what it takes. Second thing, which is just as hard, is you got to be able to look truth in the face. 
your truth, their truth, your customer's truth, your employee's truth, your boss's truth, your wife's truth. I don't care. The truth. The problem with truth is truth is scary because truth is intimate and people don't actually like intimacy because intimacy is icky. And so we avoid the truth in many aspects of, of our lives. I'll give you a quick example. My mother-in-law called me the day. She's 80-something. She's been married for 55 years. She has a husband who has a chronic condition, and they're not communicating well. And I basically, she asked for my advice, and I said, Maggie, the best thing I can tell you is you should, you should tell each other the truth. And she said to me, I love him, but I've never done that. <laughs> like, what? So getting, getting okay with the truth. Those Polaroid guys, not okay with the truth. Part of this is about fear, right? We, we, again, back to our primal ways and our Maslowian ways, we do everything we can to avoid the feeling of fear. But the problem is fear is the gateway to freedom. Working through our fear, getting okay with the truth, accepting who we are, accepting what we are not, is a release. Where all of a sudden, I'm not afraid if you don't love me or not. I'm not afraid if you don't applaud. I'm not afraid because I'm okay. I am okay. And the counterpart to this is love, love of who you are. Like the whole social media phenomenon is built around validation. You get that, right? How many likes did I get? How many followers did I get? How many retweets did I get? Do they love me? They must love me. So your ability to actualize, to become future ready truly is tied to your sense of who you are and your ability to work through your fears and get to a place where you stand on the mountaintop without fear of judgment or need for validation. That's when you can become you. Law number three, you've got to set intentions. You've got to be clear. Like, what does future ready mean? What does self-actualize mean? What is the measure of that? That which cannot be measured cannot be improved upon. So how do we set our targets for what we are actually talking about? We set our intentions. My intention for my life, this is my macro intention, is I'm after as much intimacy as I can achieve with as many people as possible. The theory being in doing that, I will help them achieve intimacy themselves. And in doing that, I will help them realize their potential, future ready, whatever. There's a view in my book on how to help individuals find their intention, what I call their point. If you're interested, you can read it. There's another view, which is what is my intention for myself? As a, what are my intentions as an employee? What are my intentions for my employees? And I follow Maslow. And the big one is this one at the top, this idea of mastery, autonomy, and purpose, which I stole from a guy named Daniel Pink. He's an author. And he clearly gets that self-actualization and future readiness are the sort of defining flag of a life, of a, of a vocation. And that our job as leaders and managers is to enable the people that work for us to achieve those three things, plus all the other things. And then at a society level, what is our intention? What is a future-ready society? So if you're in Brazil or you're in Chile or you're wherever you are, what does the future-ready Chile look like? What is the measure of that? And I stole something from Macron who said this last year, and I just thought it was lovely. It's the idea of creating a society that offers an equality of chances which is a way of saying gives people the ability to realize their full potential, right? To realize their full capacity in order to be future ready. So I've been playing with this thing, I won't belabor it, but I've been playing with a model, a set of metrics, 17 metrics that line up sort of with the Maslow's hierarchy 
that look at structural factors, personal factors, how it feels, environmental factors, to basically reflect a society, a culture that provides people with the resources, the support, the guidance, and the motivation they need to be future ready. Lesson four, you need a plan. Duh, you need a plan. But most people don't, particularly on the personal stuff. They're like, you know, I wish my life was different, but then they don't actually plan for that different life. So whether personal or professional, you need a plan that incorporates motivation and accountability step by step. How are we going to get from where we are, which is not future ready, to where we want to be, which is? When I went to Harvard, quick story, I showed up. The irony of ironies, I immediately realized that the Harvard Innovation Lab, which I was the managing director of, wasn't particularly innovative. That the people that worked there weren't innovative. They weren't future ready. They were kind of not even ready. And so I quickly initiated a planning process that ended up being called the Journey to I, and I stood for innovation, impact, and the individual. And my message to the people on the staff is that we had this opportunity to realize the full potential of the Harvard Innovation Lab, and in realizing the full potential of the Harvard Innovation Lab, we would help them realize not just their personal, their professional potential, but also their personal. Lesson number five, a big one. And this doesn't happen enough, and it crushes me every day of my life. There is a gross lack of learning and teaching throughout our society. Basically, what happens is learning and teaching is relegated to school, and you graduate from school, and then it's all experiential. And I think that's a big boo-boo. Look at, go back to the curve, the gap. We're not going to fill the gap because we want to fill the gap. We're going to fill the gap by committing to teaching and learning. Amazon's doing it. They're spending $700 million retraining their workforce. My issue is what they should be retraining their workforce on is not how to do things, but actually how to adapt. Because the do things that they know how to do are going to become obsolete again, and they're going to have to adapt again. The last thing I'll say about learning and teaching, they say that the best CEOs in the world read 52 books a year, a book a week, and I read a lot. I'm like, that's a lot. So my question isn't how many books you've read in the last year. My question that I want you to take 15 seconds to think about is who has taught you in the last week or who have you taught in the last week? Okay. Lesson number six, get outside. It's a cousin to learn and teach. The world is not your office. The world is not your town. The world is not your home. The world is the world. And if you want to be really future ready, it means being world ready. And the only way to be world ready is to get out into the world. I know that sounds obvious, but you'd be amazed at how many people don't get out at all. So get out into the world. Another way I think about this, which is kind of gross, but it's true, is your brain is like a blender and its ability to produce delicious things is predicated on what goes in it. And so each and every day, make sure you're feeding your brain with lots of different delicious things. Lesson number seven, almost done, seek the seekers, that you can't become future ready alone. Whatever the context is, business, home, doesn't matter. You need other people. And you need people that exhibit these attributes. This is from my book, and I think it's really true. You, you need people to, you need to surround yourself with people, honest, open, curious, non-judgmental, compassionate, peaceful, self-loving. If I had to pick the top three, I'd probably pick the top three. People that are okay with the truth that are curious to understand, really, really caring in their approach. So there's actually more, there's actually two others that I threw in here that are, so there's more than seven lessons. 
This goes back to Polaroid. There were walls everywhere at that organization. You've got to take down the walls. To be future ready, to innovate your life, to get more out of whatever is in front of you, there, you've got to cut down the walls. Vertical walls, horizontal walls. This is a view of a company. This is how a company looks, right? This is actually how a company looks. Those are walls. There are walls between departments, the wall between divisions, wall between layers, walls between people within departments. There are walls, walls, walls. There are walls between you and somebody else. Could be at work, could be at home. I don't know. You got to get rid of the walls. There's a wall between you and you. That's supposed to be a mirror. This is the true thing. Like the only way to realize your full potential is to get okay with what you see. Love it. Don't judge it. Accept it. Work on the rough spots, whatever. But you got to be okay with looking in the mirror. And then the last wall is the wall between us as individuals and the rest of the world. And this is a real wall. Like this goes back to my globalist thing. I don't believe in these walls. I, 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 we're, we're all related. You're all my siblings or my kids or I don't know. This wall is killing us because this is true. This life is one life. Not only is it one life, but it's just one life, right? And our, our responsibility is to realize the full capacity of that life. We don't get another shot, both professionally and personally. And the last thing is, I, I really, you know this about me already. Like, I, I think this is the only thing that matters. The world is nothing but a collection of human beings. Companies are nothing but a collection of human beings. Families are nothing but a collection of human beings. Putting our humanity first is everything. Understanding our humanity is everything. So I'll leave you with a couple of last things. I love this from Tim Cook at Apple. He said it last year. Our responsibility is to infuse the technologies we make with the humanity that makes us. I just modify it a little bit, right? This is our responsibility. We are making lives. We are making our lives. We are making others' lives. We are helping others realize their lives. Infusing everything we do with our humanity, again, is a responsibility, it's an opportunity, and it's a gift. And I think that's what it means to be future ready. So the last question isn't a question. The last question is a request. Don't go forward as technologists, as salespeople, as business people, or whatever your CEOs or whatever, don't go forward as humanists. Go forward recognizing that being future ready is about being human ready. And the more of us that do that, the more of us will thrive and the more the world will be a better place. I really believe that. Thank you for your time. Namaste. And I think there'll be some questions available later. So I look forward to hearing from each of you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, you can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons. There are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.